0: Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle-related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and centre in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today I'm really delighted to introduce my guest Patti Villalobos, who's an amazing peer of mine. She's changing lives for the better with all she brings from her own experience in
1: professional training. Welcome Patty. Oh, Bev, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your podcast.
0: It's great for you to be with me. It's lovely. We share a common goal to support people to make their lives better in different ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and it's very empowering to work. Uh, I think now more people can take their well-being into their hands than even 20 years ago, right? Absolutely.
0: So let's get started, and you tell me about yourself and what it is that you do, Petty.
1: Okay, well, I am a coach, a course creator and a teacher. And uh, when I think of my tribe, right the people who, who get attracted to me, they tend to be what I call heart-centered professionals and ordinary folks who are looking for tools and coaching that get them past the self-sabotage of giving away their power. And so I do some one-on-one coaching, but my real passion is in leading workshops and teaching. And I tend to uh, bring together like practical instruction. I love things that people can actually take out in their real world and practice because to me, a lot of it's learning skill, also with a deep insight into your inner world. And so you bring those two together and you 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 give those to people and then and now they've got uh, something that they can move forward and be—they um, own their destiny, if you will.
0: Yes, and you mentioned you did the one-on-one because you've obviously a trained counselor, aren't you?
1: Um, I'm not working actually as a therapist right now, but I started out. Well, where I really started out is I started out in high tech. I was a programmer for a while, and then I became a uh, director of R and D. I worked in the telecom industry in the 90s into, up till uh, 2003. And uh, it was fun, it was fast paced, I loved it. I did a lot of traveling, um, very, very driven, super driven 90 hour week environments. Uh, but after 9-11, that world had a ton of shakeups as you probably remember. And so I spent less time actually leading teams to develop new technology and more time putting out fires and navigating like this constant churning up people in the industry. I was just doing layoffs after layoffs. And it was it was a pretty awful environment. And it also was taking me away from what I liked, which was working with people. And so I went back to school, got a master's in counseling, and basically did a start over right in, in the US when you and, and in Texas, because they license by state, you, you know, get licensed as a therapist, and then you have to do these internships. And uh, some of them are paid and some of them are not paid, and so uh, worked in agencies, worked with a lot of homeless people, uh, people with addictions, worked with at-risk youth, which I really liked. Then I went into private practice, and I also worked as a large group facilitator for a self-help program. So um, I would do workshops every two weeks with anywhere from 35 people to 300 people, depending on the month and the program. And I eventually even became the executive director of that nonprofit uh, while I still had my private practice. So whereas I thought I was getting out of the overwork when I got out of tech, I ended up recreating it again in a different way (laughs) (laughs) as a therapist, right? (laughs) So obviously, I still had a lot to learn about myself. And why was I driven to do that? Why was I driven Right. And, I, and I really had to work on that. And then in 2013, I moved completely into coaching. I uh, didn't do therapy anymore. And uh, recently I've started doing virtual course development. So that's where I find myself right now.
0: We often are our best teachers, aren't we? If we find and listen to that inner wisdom of ours, we can actually make our own journey better. So that's really great. Would you describe your own journey with well-being?
1: Yeah, you know, I would love to say that it was a straight line, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that as I grew, I became wiser and took better care of myself. And that just was not the way it happened. (laughs) You know, I spent the first uh, 13 years of my life completely overwhelmed by situations and people. I was a really sensitive kid. And, you know, at 13, I started using drugs, I started um, drinking, and that started a probably 16 year, out of control, reactive, addictive part of my life. Uh, No balance, obviously, whatsoever. And so then I spent the next probably, I'd say 20 years, gaining sobriety, cleaning up the debris of the past, and working really, really hard. Like working hard on me, uh, you know, on myself, but also in my career. And so that's when I worked in high tech. Um, So I had better focus, but I didn't have much balance. And then, you know, in my 40s, I, when I got into the counseling and the workshop facilitation, it was more about giving, so giving back. And I really enjoyed doing that. But then I found myself out of balance there because it was a giving, 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 but I wasn't doing a really good job of self-care. And at 45, I got a big wake-up call. Um, you know, I, I look at a lot of things in my life symbolically, and my big wake-up call, I had not been feeling great. But I got into the worst insomnia. I mean, at one point, I was sleeping one hour a night on Ambien. It was awful. So to me, it was like, oh my, This talk about a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call from my soul, right? To to say, okay, what are you doing? And I was diagnosed with um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which, as you probably know, is an autoimmune disorder where your body attacks the thyroid and severe adrenal fatigue. And so, you know, with that combination, I couldn't go back into the old mode of overgiving because I couldn't even make it through a day. And so with the insomnia, it brought a lot of anxiety and depression because, of course, when you're not sleeping, everything is jacked up. Right. And it took a lot of very, very focused self-care to get out of that mess. I remember realizing, because of course, I was looking for the, okay, what doctor do I need to go to? What's the pill I need to take? What's the quick fix? And I realized fairly quickly, it wasn't a quick fix, because it wasn't something I had gotten into overnight. And so therefore, I wasn't going to, it was all about balance. And I wasn't going to get into balance overnight. And so, you know, I worked with a nutritionist, um, I worked with a doctor, I worked with a naturopath, I still see that same doctor and naturopath. I've worked with chiropractors, definitely changing my diet, did some energy healing and did a lot of inner spiritual work that, I mean, honestly, I continue to this day, Um, started a pretty uh, regular meditation practice and got into mindfulness. And, you know, with all of that, really looking at Again, like I said, why was I driving myself so much, you know, just changing scenery, but still driving myself so much and really healing that stuff. Um, And I still have some rough days, you know, around the health. But I honestly, Bev, I can say that today, even with um, some days that are not so great, as long as I'm being proactive in my self-care, I feel the healthiest mentally, emotionally and spiritually than I've ever been. And so, you know, now I'm 51 and and moving forward, you know, I plan to make my fifth decade and beyond. I I really want it to be balanced. I want it to be grounded in self-care and to be uh, responsible in my service because I still am drawn from my core to be of service and to, to teach other people and to help others. But boy, I get it that I can't give away what I don't have. So I'm This has been really a thing about being really clear about what my boundaries have to be. Now, that's been a very core level learning for me. Boundaries with myself and then boundaries, of course, with other people.
0: That makes me realize, you know, you're sort of mirroring a lot, lot of my own story in some ways. But what I recognize is it's really difficult to set boundaries. And I want to know why that may be so. You know, why do we get stuck in saying, Yes, when we mean no over and over again. Yeah, and
1: even when, like, I don't know about you, but like, yes would come out of my mouth. And even as it was coming out, I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Why am I taking this on when obviously I've got too much on my plate? I think there's several reasons why people get kind of caught up in that trap. There is a cultural part of it. So, for instance, for me, I grew up in a Hispanic Catholic religious culture where – service could be blurred with and confused with sacrifice and even martyrdom and so then growing up in that you know i i learn i create these tapes you know these inner uh, beliefs that say oh to be a good girl to be a good person you have to be selfless and so then of course when i got challenged and i got challenged really quickly in uh, working in the high tech environment right it was a male dominated very quick fast paced where you would be pushed, pushed, pushed by the sales teams or by customers. And so when it came then to, okay, having to set boundaries and say, no, that's not possible, right? I, I Truly, I didn't know how to do it. So part of it's culture. I think also for women, it's not only the culture of, you know, women uh, being traditionally caretakers and the nurturers. Not, that's not necessarily completely true now, but in general, right? but also women um, have the hormonal drive to tend and befriend, right? Taking care of, of the babies. And and so now I, I was just working with a client recently, um, has an infant. Uh, she is a caretaker for aging parents, um, one of who, who has Alzheimer's. So of course that's tremendously stressful and has an infant. So on both sides, she's got People who need from her, and the need is very real and very big. And she's exhausted and feels like a failure because she feels like she can't do it all. And so we really talked about okay, it's not a failure to be exhausted. I mean, you just have hit the limit, and it's okay to set boundaries and to ask for help, even though her idea of what a good daughter is supposed to be or what um, a good mother is supposed to be is getting challenged. And then there's another reason that I think that it, that it's hard, and this one crosses really about across male and female, because I've seen it in both, and that's a fear of conflict. When I did the beta for the class that I'm doing, uh, I was asking a bunch of questions to see, okay, why are boundaries difficult for you? Why are you in this class, was basically. And 71% of the 100 people who applied back felt that setting boundaries was confrontational. And that they didn't like conflict. And so to me, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Because obviously, if you don't like conflict, and you see boundaries as confrontational, you're going to tend to do whatever it is you do, whether it's fight or flight, right? Probably uh, run away or avoid, because you don't like the confrontation. And, you know, again, I'm really big on skills teaching. And the reality is that setting boundaries is part of being assertive. And you don't have to be mean or aggressive when you do it. And when people learn that, it, it just takes a, a huge weight off your shoulders.
0: So how can we reframe conflict and be assertive about our needs without feeling or appearing to be aggressive?
1: Yeah, so one of, I'm, I'm a real visual person. And so I um, usually will come up with a lot of analog, analogies or visuals. And one of them was, uh, I see healthy conflict as a seesaw. So the first thing is conflict is inevitable, right? You are going to have people who don't agree with you just because they see the world differently from you. And if you think of yourself uh, in a conflict with somebody, it's like you're both on a seesaw and you're trying to keep this balancing act where one side is, can I ask for what I need and have healthy limits? So that's about having a voice, knowing what I need, And also being able to say something like, hey, hey, wait a second. You know, I'm not yelling at you. I need you to not yell at me because we can't keep talking this way. And The other side, because it can't just be all about me, right? (laughs) The other side of the seesaw is the ability to listen to the other person, like to really hear them without trying to change them. Because obviously, when you're in a conflict with somebody, if you feel like the other person is trying to change your mind, you're going to polarize. So, which just escalates the conflict. And it's this balance between, can I hear you? Can I listen to you? Can I have empathy? And can I move over to this right side? And can I tell you what I need? And can I move back and forth and you know, be in balance? Well, part of what happens is we will tend to overshoot, right? And we all do this, right? We'll either overshoot on this um, assertive side where I'm not just telling you what I need. I have become strident and loud and forceful, and now I'm aggressive, and I've become judgmental and maybe even controlling. And now I've fallen off the seesaw completely. (laughs) (laughs) And usually when that happens, the other person is going to polarize against you, or they're going to do what they do in that type of scenario. They'll either shut down or they'll uh, fight with you. So not very useful. Now you can fall off the seesaw on the other side, so if I listen, and I'm really good at listening, and having empathy, so much so that I almost I merge with you, and I, it's like, oh, your point of view is it, and what what is my point of view now? What do I really? What do I really? Oh, my 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 needs don't matter. I become too passive, and when you c- go off and become passive, now you're just avoiding the conflict altogether. And so, of course, that's not healthy because uh, sometimes you have to have hard conversations, or you have to hold a limit. Uh, So passive is not a good place to be either. And so if you fall off the seesaw on either side, it puts you in this dysfunctional place. But the skill is to be able to stay on the seesaw, to balance that assertiveness with listening and empathy, and to recognize you're learning a skill. And so don't beat yourself up. Have grace when you don't, you know, quote unquote, get it right. Because it's a skill and practice is what makes it perfect, if there's such thing.
0: (laughs) That's so true, isn't it? Because... You didn't learn to ride your bicycle in one go. So I guess this is like riding a bicycle where you've got to take the practice and yes, you won't get it right. But I think the more you do that, you'd probably build a quiet confidence um, that you can get that. So if you find yourself, Patty, in the stage where you're constantly being on one end of the seesaw or another, so you've got some sort of entrenched behavior, how do you break that cycle?
1: Yeah. So the first thing is you are aware of it, right? Because awareness is, uh, you know, as you know, the the starting point to everything. When I am blind to my own um, behavior and my own patterns, then I'm a victim to life, right? Oh, these things just happened to me. Well, no, I need to look at it and go, well, what really happens is I go passive and I get, and I don't speak up for myself. And then I get mad and I go into controlling, right? And so, okay, I am aware of my behavior. So if you're doing this with another person, that's your side, right? The other person then has the way they respond to you, especially if it's somebody you know, you know, you've known for a long time, you've got a a built in pattern. And you got to recognize that you cannot change their behavior. What you can do is you can change your approach. And when you change your approach, the interaction between the two of you is going to change. Now, it may not go exactly the way you think it's going to, but as you learn the skills and you start changing to be different, the whole relationship in that arena has to change somehow. But you have to be uh, patient, right? You are unlearning uh, old behaviors, old habits, and you're bringing in new skills and new habits.
0: It could be easier to start fresh on new behaviors with with people we don't know well and give them a good practice. because. I guess our long-term relationships, it may be different because we've, like, as we were talking, it's, it's old habit, entrenched behavior. So what could we do about our long-term relationships?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, with a new behavior, uh, you don't have all the baggage. You don't have all the history, right? And, uh, or, or if it's a relationship that is not as close to you. So it's your new neighbor that you've just met six months ago you know, that's not the same relationship as, you know, your parent or your spouse or your ex that you've known, you know, for a really long time. So with the long term relationships, the first thing is to recognize, you know what, we've been in a dance for quite a while. And we have reinforced this pattern. I mean, it it may be a totally unhealthy pattern, but it's our pattern, right? It's our dance. And so I mean, if you think of um, like a difficult or dysfunctional relationship that you've ever been in, You know what that means. It's like, okay, I'm going to say this, then he's going to reply back like this, then I'm going to get mad, then he's going to slam the door, then we're not going to talk for two weeks. And you just know, oh, that's how it works. And so when you're in that kind of pattern, it's imagine um, a ladder and you're down on rung number one, where this is the old pattern that doesn't work for us. The only thing I can do is look at myself and say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. Okay, I've got to do some inner work. I've got to change myself and I've got to decide I'm aware that part of the problem is that I'm too passive and then I become too controlling. I'm going to do something about that. So I start working on myself and I move up a couple of rungs on the ladder and then I learn another skill and I get a little more of that quiet confidence, like you said. Right. And I move up another rung. So now what happens is the other person is still down on rung number one, unless they happen to also be working on themselves at the same time. But let's say they're not. A really interesting thing happens. A lot of times, even if this is somebody who loves you, okay, I start moving up on those rungs and it's almost like they grab at my ankles and start pulling me down.
0: (laughs) That
1: is so true. You know, and and that's with like any kind of behavior change. You could announce to your family, I'm not going to eat sugar anymore and show up at you know a holiday. And it's like, you know, your mother or your aunt has made five desserts and put them on the table and is going to be greatly offended if you don't have them. And you're like, but I told you. you know? So part of it, it may be conscious, but a lot of it's unconscious. And I think a lot of it, the unconscious part is. If you have a relationship with somebody who's important to you, and they start changing, that kind of freaks them out a little bit. Um, they get afraid they're going to lose you. They get afraid that it's uh, reflecting back on them that they need to change. There's all sorts of little fears that pop up for people, and so unconsciously they start pulling at your ankles. Right now you've got a you're at a choice point. Okay, at this point now I can either go back down to rung number one on the ladder so that the other person isn't uncomfortable with my growth, right? And now I'm back down here because this is our, um, I call that the uncomfortable comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Or I can keep moving up the ladder, not ever look back down and leave that person behind. So that's the two um, ends of the spectrum, right? The third thing that I can do is I can look, down at the person who's down there. And I don't mean look down on them. Like I'm sometimes I'm at the bottom of the the rung, you know, and, and the other person is above me, but I can look at the other person from where they're at. And I can tell them, especially if this is somebody important to me, and I can say, you know what, this is something I'm doing for myself, I am learning. So in the example, I'm giving to, you know, to not be passive and to not be controlling, and I need to keep growing in this. And I would love for you to grow in this journey with me, but I can't make you change, right? That's futile. So what I'll do is I will meet with you as I can. And if something happens that doesn't work for me, my boundaries are what keep me from going back on my values. So if if I, for example, have a very, very best girlfriend, we've known each other for years, and we've been drinking buddies, like real drinking buddies, and I decide I'm giving up alcohol. I do all this work, I do the sobriety work, I start moving up those rungs on the ladder and I feel like every time she's inviting me out, we're ending up, she wants to go to the bars. She wants to go do the old things that we did. If I don't wanna leave her behind, just turn and and keep moving up, what I can do is I can say, hey, I really, um, I do wanna be your friend. I can't do that stuff anymore, that's not me anymore. But why don't we meet for lunch instead? And I can start creating boundaries and different ways to engage that relationship. At that point, the person is either going to accept your boundaries and um, say, yeah, hey, that's a great idea. And the relationship changes, but you grow through it, right? Or they may be like, oh, you're, well, you're just no fun anymore. Or it just kind of falls away. Whatever it is, your boundaries help you keep moving towards your values and towards who you're wanting to be. But hopefully you can do it without um, doing the cut and run, right, where you're just leaving the other person behind. So I know that's a really long answer, but it's, like, it's kind of complicated, right, because it depends on the relationship and uh, how much you have in common and how much you want to keep the relationship.
0: Yes, and I guess, Patty, to the point we were discussing earlier is that if you're wanting to avoid conflict, cut and run could be an
1: easy way out. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so, what I'm understanding is that as we start to set boundaries and we have those healthy limits between, you know, being empathetic and listening versus managing our own needs, it's not only healthy for me, but it's actually healthy for others because they know where they stand in the situation. It's not that yes. I either shut down, and you know, just be passive or that I'm overtly aggressive. So I think that it would change the dynamic. And if somebody really values the relationship, it would create that healthy shift for both
1: people, you know? Well, it can become a much more, yeah, you're exactly right, because it can become a much more honest relationship. Uh, Brene Brown has in, um, I believe it's her book, Rising Strong, a great uh, section where she talks about Boundaries, and she says, "I wasn't as nice, but I was much more loving." Sometimes it's so much more loving to tell somebody the truth and to set the boundaries, even when it isn't the okay that you used to do before. Mm, this is
0: beautiful. So, really, it's healthy for me. It's healthy for others. So, I'd love to you to tell me more about your latest course, "Set Boundaries Like a Boss."
1: Yeah. Um, so, the idea there is, it's a it's a five week uh, virtual course. And people come in and of course, everybody's got their own uh, boundaries challenges that they're dealing with. And, you you know, we're learning, you know, what boundaries are and are not. And I like to look at boundaries as more than just saying no to things. Boundaries are also about saying yes to the right things. right? And, and, and that's part of the self care and taking care of yourself. And so we, we talk about that. We go through um, some of the, the, like I said, the tools of, you know, In this type of situation, maybe try saying this so that people can say, uh, I'll get people all the time who say, You know, I've got a grown son who lives with me at home. How do I set boundaries with him? It was different than when he was, you know, 12 and living at home. And so we talk about real specifically for your scenario, well, have you tried this? Maybe you could approach it this way. Uh, And then we get a plan around their most challenging boundary scenario because some things are just complicated. Uh, If you, have an ex, for example, and are not he or she is not very nice to you right now. But you still have to engage with them because of the kids, you've got to have a way to have boundaries with them that isn't going to alienate and isn't going to escalate um, into, you know, stupid text wars, right? (laughs) So people can bring in then their most challenging scenario, and we create a plan, you know, we give them uh, give them the tools, and they create that plan. And then at the end of the, the course, we do more on what are the, what's the self-talk? What are the beliefs that I have, uh, the tapes that I have on the inside that are keeping me from setting boundaries? So like for me, the thing about, you know, well, to be a nice girl, you have to be selfless. Right. So, I mean, I had to really work on that belief because as long as that belief was running in me, I could say all day long how I wanted to to be in boundaries, I was not going to have the inclination to do it automatically. And so we talk about that and we learn um, tools around that at the end of the class.
0: Mm, sounds amazing. And Petty, what are all your tips for living fabulously?
1: Oh, wow. So, you know what? Learn to be honest with yourself um, as much as you possibly can and don't run away from yourself because your shadow will just catch up with you. And... If instead you'll look at your shadow, that part that we all have of us where it's um, the things I don't like about myself, the things I'm afraid of about myself, and I can just embrace that part and say, okay, even though I dislike this about me or I'm afraid about this in me, I will sit with it and I will say, what do you have to teach me? It will always point me towards the greatest wholeness and healing. That is the key towards my wholeness and healing.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for that. And you can find Patty at her website. It's pattyvillalobos.com. Also on Facebook under Patty Villalobos Coaching. These will be in the show notes for your reference. Patty, thank you so much for sharing your own well-being and journey, but also inspiring us to recognize that boundaries are not just about saying no. They are also about saying yes to the right things. You talked about three key things. That awareness that this is not working for you, and it probably isn't working for the other people in your life. That it's about changing your approach and and unlearning old habits. It's not about changing somebody else, and also to keep practicing and be compassionate with yourself and others, so that you, as you do this, you can embrace all of yourself, even that shadow side, so that you come to wholeness yourself. So. It's not about whether you're right or wrong. It's actually about doing what's best for you for the long term and have your relationships flourish. Yes, that's
1: beautiful. Great synopsis there.
0: So thank you so much for being with me today and helping inspire others.
1: Oh, thank you, Bev. I've really enjoyed this.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.